to episode four of Fiction Forward, where our fiction is intersectional and our ideas are forward. Yeah. So unfortunately, this week we don't actually have a special guest. But we hope that you'll forgive us because, like, we're the hosts of the show and so, like, yeah, supposedly, like, you listen to the show because you like it and not because you, like, want to listen to the people that we bring on, but (laughs) that's fine. If it's not the case, you could stop. Anyway, uh, this episode is actually about a somewhat older book, I guess, in the YA world. It was published in... 2015 in October actually October 6th 2015 so Wait. that was actually exactly uh two years ago incredible <laughs> we're great wow. I didn't even plan this <laughs> basically what spurred this is that I um I have books that I read for fictionist mag Um, and post reviews for and then I have books that I read for fun and I actually picked up Carry On um, at BookCon over the summer for fun and I finally got around to reading it and I really liked it and I told Kelly about it and we decided that since we weren't really sure what we were going to talk about next that we should just talk about Carry On because it has some really cool topics that it covers so a quick summary Kelly if you want to start this off sure so Half the time, Simon can't even make his wand work, and the other half, he starts something on fire. His mentor is avoiding him, his girlfriend broke up with him, and there's a magic-eating monster running around wearing Simon's face. Boz would be having a field day with all of this, if he were here. It's their last year at the Watford School of Magics, and Simon's infuriating nemesis didn't even bother to show up. So if this is all sounding vaguely familiar to you yes it is a little bit of an homage to harry potter and by a little bit i mean a lot basically like a lot of people have problems with how similar it is to harry potter um and specifically i mean it is on purpose that the author does this and there have been a lot of people who have said that the the book is basically like draco harry fanfic um which, like, I can see it. I can understand how that's a thing. Um, it's it's pretty obvious, actually. But um, there's a lot of people who appreciated the, the similarity and a lot of people who really hated it and then some people who just honestly didn't care and just liked the book. Um, so just know that if you're, if you're going to read it, that it does have a lot of Harry Potter similarities. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, for example... Simon is the chosen one. There have been prophecies written about him. He grew up an orphan. An orphan in the normal world, not in the magical world. Because there are no orphans in the magical world. And the headmaster of the Watford School of Magics comes to him when he's 11 and says, You're a wizard, Harry! And he's like, I'm a what? (laughs) And then he goes to Watford. (laughs) And it's magical, and they have amazing food, and the dining hall is always beautiful and full of food, and he eats a lot because he's an orphan, and he's too skinny. Anyway, 
The reason that we were interested in talking about this book on this podcast, which, if you're new here, Fiction Forward is a podcast about gender, people of color, and LGBT representation in YA books. Um, Basically, this book has a very prominent LGBT plot in it, which is why it was like a kind of a big deal when it was released. Um, There's a few uh, POC characters. There's some other stuff going on. Kelly found one disabled character. (laughs) The the, the one sentence. But it's there. (laughs) It exists. So yeah, it, it has some, some aspects to it that we can talk about. And also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about gender roles, a little bit about that LGBT plot that I was talking about. But first, we're going to go over some characters. So uh, you already met Simon. He's the chosen one. He's super white. He, uh, at the time of the beginning of the book, is dating a girl named Agatha. They don't really like each other. They're just... <laughs> They're just, just kind of there. <laughs> They've been dating for like three years and they don't even like like each other that much. I don't know. Um, teenagers are weird. Uh, so that's him. And then there's Baz. Baz is short for Basil, which is his middle name, I believe. Actually, it's Basilton. So it's even oh, sorry. fancier. Sorry, Basilton. <laughs> um, I forget what his actual first name is, actually. Uh, Tyrannus. Tyrannus, Tyrannus Basilton Grim Pitch. Pitch, yes. At Great. your service. Awesome. Um, so, so that's him. Um, he's actually a vampire, so his skin is super white, but apparently his mother's family is Egyptian, um, and they're like darker skinned because Egypt is in North Africa, in case you didn't know. Anyway, um, I feel like a lot of people don't. <laughs> anyway, so that's Baz. He's also gay. He um, he comes out. I mean, he doesn't like come out, but in the book, his narrator chapters, like at the very beginning of his narration, he's immediately talking about how he is gay. So um, I assume that he's known for a long time. And then there is Penny. Um, which is short for Penelope. Or Hermione. <laughs> or Hermione. I guess people have said that Penny is like both Ron and Hermione, but I don't really see that. I feel like she's just Hermione. Yeah, I definitely feel like she's more of a Hermione character just because even just in her physical description sometimes too, like they describe her as having wildish type of hair. Um, and she's like, the smart one who organizes everything and gets everyone's shit together is like, all right, yeah. we're going to figure this problem out. Here we go. Like, make and it a she's list. Like, she's like second in their class, but Simon specifically says that she was first in their class, but then she was eclipsed by Baz because she like got into too much shit with Simon and got distracted, basically. <laughs> Which, again, sounds like her right. Um, so anyway, Penny, or Penelope, is, uh, Indian on her mom's side also, so, um, she is another POC character, and actually there's, like, I have sort of mixed feelings about the exchange at the beginning of the book where, um, basically Simon and Penny meet, and Simon is immediately like, 
I didn't think someone like you could be named Penelope. And, like, in the text, he mentions that, like, maybe something like Sanvi, like some very stereotypical Indian name. And she says, someone like me can be named anything. And then he says, right, sorry. (laughs) And he does, I mean, like, he does narrate in the background, because this is a flashback, he says that he said it stupidly and that everything he said that year was stupid. And so, like... I kind of appreciate that it's unapologetically, like, him calling himself stupid. It's not the the classic white person, like, I I said it, it was stupid, but, like, but just, you know, I'm sorry about it, and it's because I was ignorant at the time, and, like, here's a bunch of excuses about why I I would say something. I didn't mean it like that. That wasn't my intention. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And instead, he just, like, calls himself stupid, and he admits that, like, he was really dumb, and so... I appreciate that, but, um, yeah, it is, like, it is very interesting that the author chose to make Penelope very obviously POC and, like, make Simon say dumb shit to her at the very beginning of their relationship. (laughs) And her heritage is brought up every once in a while in the book, but there's not really too big of a focus on the characters' heritages or even really big parts of their identities it's more kind of how the characters interact with each other and the relationships that they form together but it's kind of like a nice like background thing you know and i mean i do like it because like there's a lot of books where um like the race thing really doesn't matter like you don't need to talk about every character's ethnicity but it is nice to like mention that not everyone is white because for some reason in the media like if you don't say a race people just assume that they're white and so like if you want to have a diverse cast of characters and you're writing a book and there's no illustrations or anything it's nice to mention and it's nice to like just kind of like have it in there and be like these are poc characters please don't white them (laughs) don't white them (laughs) don't white them Um, I was going to say whitewash. I just want that on the record, but I messed it up. That's all right. We'll make don't white them a hashtag. Great. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, there's also um, one of the last, like, main characters is uh, Agatha, who's pretty much just Becky. Her name should be Becky. I mean, she's not horrible. It's just she doesn't really add anything to the book. She's just kind of there for most of it. Like, she doesn't... She mostly voluntarily stays out of a lot of Simon's adventures and and hijinks and is always like, we should go to the authorities with this. Like, we shouldn't <laughs> be handling this ourselves. And she doesn't really have any interest in the political landscape of the magical world. She's just kind of like, why can't we all just get along? Like, what if we were just happy? Like... We don't need to pay attention to this. It's fine. Like, she's just kind of... She's she's a Becky. She's a basic Becky. Yeah, she just... She wants to, like, go into a hole until the whole war is over. And then, like, so that she'll survive. And she's... In case you forgot, she's the one who's dating Simon. But they don't even really like each other. <laughs> and it's yeah. been three years. <laughs> and that's established pretty quickly in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's like... He, he goes through a list of ten things he misses about Watford and... Agatha's at the bottom and he immediately <laughs> is like, maybe I should take Agatha off the list. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a loving relationship. <laughs> Very close. Yes. There's also um, a couple of just like random LGBT uh, minor characters, which I, I appreciate the same reason that I appreciate that there's like 
POC references, even though they're not part of the plot. Like, it's just nice to know, like, Penny's roommate is, um, she has a girlfriend. We, we don't know if she's a lesbian or, like, bisexual or, or what, but she has a girlfriend. Um, she's also a pixie, which is viewed as not good, so I guess that would be, like, a fantasy kind of POC sort of thing. Um, so she's yeah. a pixie and, and also dating a girl. Penelope doesn't really have a great relationship with her, but it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, Trixie, who's the pixie's name, is dating yep. a girl. It's just that they just really don't get along for whatever reason. It's never really explored. It's just kind of like, okay, Penelope doesn't like her roommate. That's a thing. Yeah, pretty much. Which I appreciated because I feel like it would have been really easy for her to, like, complain about Trixie's girlfriend or, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, have LGBT-related complaints. But she doesn't really go there, and I appreciate that because it's, like, people are allowed to be LGBT and, like, annoying for, like, normal reasons. Like, maybe she's a slob or she's just, like really loud like i don't know it doesn't have to be related to that oh i um i found a quote penny says that every year in reference to trixie the pixie says every year she comes back more manic than she was the year before first she turned her hair into a dandelion puff and then she cried when the wind blew it away and this is this chapter's from simon's perspective so he says i giggle in Trixie's defense, I say, she is half pixie, and most pixies are a little manic. So it's like, you can kind of see, like, the latent, like, I don't know if it's, like, necessarily, like, prejudices, but just kind of, like, the latent, like, um... Speciesist? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> or, the, like, the perceptions that the human characters have against, like, the non-human characters. That's kind of, like... That's kind of a theme that, like, runs throughout the book. Like, the old families who were, like, the the rich, like, very powerful. The Death Eater families. families. Yes, the Death Eater families. The Malfoys. <laughs> My father will hear about this. <laughs> uh, they don't like people who aren't human, basically. Um, and although Penelope and Simon are never really, like, outwardly antagonistic to anyone else who isn't human they also really don't interact with anyone else who isn't really human except um, baz who's a vampire and simon like goes from absolutely hating vampires to being like no you're not dead like you're alive and you're ex- great exactly like he he doesn't think like vampires are good at the beginning he thinks they're really dangerous you know there's kind of like these ideas that like oh well you know most pixies are manic anyway just kind of like generalizing pixies um that's kind of a theme that runs throughout the book it's never really like too prevalent within the characters interactions with each other except for like again like boz and simon but yeah um there is one other point though where uh penelope talking about her roommate again um i'll just read this passage says penelope lets me being simon go back to my room after dinner and she doesn't try to follow she's stuck with trixie and her girlfriend now that boz is back in town gay people have an unfair advantage she complains and i like i read that and i was like do do they like i get where she's coming from in the sense that like the way the dorms are set up at watford 
they're magically enchanted, so if you're of the opposite sex, you can't go in, um, basically. Or I guess it's, like, I don't know if it's based on gender or if it's based on No, sex? it's based on gender. It's based or, on gender? I, I mean, that issue is never really brought up. There's, like, no trans people in the in the book, unfortunately, but um, I guess it would be based on sex because mm-hmm. that, would, that would make more sense. So, um, so yeah, so, it's probably based on sex, and it definitely will, like, not let you in um, mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, so if you, you know, if you're, like, Simon and Agatha, like, Simon can't go visit Agatha in her dorm, Agatha can't go visit Simon in his, but you know, Penny's saying well, you know, Trixie and her girlfriend can hang out in their room and, like, spend all this time together in their room because they're gay. But then it's also, like, okay, well, like, we don't really know how gay people are treated necessarily within the universe. It's kind of hinted a little bit with Boz that his father doesn't really approve of him being gay. Um, But it doesn't really seem to affect their relationship to the book like you know he's not like disowned or anything like his father's not like outwardly abusive towards him he's just kind of like the you know i'm the rich distant father figure here i am um but but through that and through the other parallels with this fictional world and you know our reality you know you can assume that like they're probably not accepted just like the old families don't really accept like pixies and vampires and uh, basically anyone else who isn't human. So at that point, it's like, eh, like it's really like not that unfair. I don't know because there's other things that they have to deal with. Ah, uh, I don't know. Also, that just like, that was a weird that was a weird passage. <laughs> I do want to mention that. It was a weird passage, but at least it wasn't normalized in the text. Like, Simon specifically says, only when it comes to visiting their roommates. And then uh, when she doesn't answer, he says she's decent enough not to argue. As in, like, it's decent not to argue with the fact that gay people don't really have an advantage. (laughs) So, like, like, it is good that it's not normalized, but it is weird that it was there in the first place, kind of. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is good. And that's, I, we see that a lot throughout the book, too, where, you know, there's not too many problematic behaviors from the characters themselves, but when there are, it's not normalized, which is which good. Which is good. Yes. I like it. Because I hate it when there's, like, a character who's obviously supposed to be an asshole, but they're, like, allowed to be an asshole. Like, it's completely normalized in the book, and everyone just thinks it's okay. Like, no. Um, before we talk about uh, a lot of the characters, like, really in depth, if anyone was wondering more about that one disabled character, Kelly can tell you all about it. <laughs> His It'll only is... take a minute. <laughs> yeah, because he only gets mentioned once. Well, he gets mentioned a few other times, and it's kind of cool that, like, Every time Rainbow Rowell mentions this character, Reese, she doesn't say, like, and Reese with his wheelchair comes in, and, like, (laughs) Reese is, you know, it's not, like, a glaring thing, it's just kind of, like, dropped in, like, he's a character, but he's not defined solely by his disability, like, he's, like, his character isn't his disability, like, he's a character. Um, He's a minor character, so he doesn't really get much screen time or page time I guess in this <laughs> sense <laughs> um, 
But there's one point where Simon's walking back from somewhere, and he finds Reese, and Reese is like, All right there, Simon. It's like, it's Reese. He's coming up along the path from the library in his wheelchair. And then Reese is mentioned maybe one or two more times, but that's never really mentioned again. But it's just kind of like, oh, like, that's there. It's just kind of like a normal thing. Like, it's not this big glaring, like, look at everyone. Like, this is, we have a disabled character. He is here. And this is all he does because it's his disability and that's who he is as a person and nothing else matters for his character. Like, he's a character and it's just kind of like a facet of his character. It is something that I like about Rawls' writing is that she, she'll give a character, uh, like, some sort of minority, like, facet to them, but she won't make it their character. It's just like, yes, my mom is Indian. Like, why the fuck do you care about that? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and Penny's not doing, like, stereotypically or, like, like tropish, like, Indian things throughout the book. She's just being herself and being a character. And, like, it comes in every once in a while, but it's not, it's not, like, relevant at all. Like, the mm-hmm. only time it's relevant is when you meet her mom, and her mom's name is, like, Mitali, and I think she's cooking something that's, like, mildly ethnic. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the only time it's mentioned, honestly. hmm So, in case you're wondering, there are more than, like, five characters in this book, uh, and we're gonna talk about the way that, that Rowell's characters either feed into or don't feed into gender roles and stereotypes, and it's, a uh, it's a fairly okay length list. Also, we might be comparing them to Harry Potter characters. It's fine. Just go with it. I will 100% be comparing them, because I couldn't stop comparing it the entire time I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, Kelly and I had different different experiences. Like, I spent the first 50 to 100, I don't remember when, pages uh, comparing it to Harry Potter and being like, oh, this is this plot point from Harry Potter. <laughs> but uh, I stopped doing it once, uh, once. once Baz came in um, to the picture, and as soon as he came in, I was more interested in like the plot of this book than comparing it to Harry Potter. And I feel like it definitely depends, like... If you're someone who really enjoyed the book and the writing style and, like, Rowell's, you know, style, then you're probably going to forget about Harry Potter partway through. But if you aren't super into the book, then you'll probably just keep comparing it to Harry Potter. And that's okay. I mean, like, you're allowed to do whatever you want with this book. But um, I personally really liked it, especially, like, the latter half and I, I really enjoyed it, and I definitely stopped thinking about Harry Potter. So, the first character we'll examine, Aunt Fiona and or a weird Bellatrix and Nymphadora Tonks combination. Um, <laughs> she's actually Baz's aunt, just so you know. So she's, like, in the old family, like, like Death Eater, speciesist slash racist, classist people. Yeah, but but whereas Boz is very posh, Aunt Fiona is super punks. She wears Doc Martens. She's, like, really edgy in her <laughs> aesthetic. I don't think she's married, and I think Boz is just kind of, like, she just kind of dates around and, like, does her thing, basically. She, well, no, she specifically dates normals, which is yes. for muggles, because she doesn't want to commit so she just dates normals and, like, pretends that she's normal and then 
dumps them or like whatever happens and she doesn't want to get married so she just does that yeah she just has she has a grand old time doing that too but then on the flip side she's also pretty racist and classist um which is interesting for her character choice just because generally like it's more so like men who are bigoted sometimes as characters rather than like women and like women are normally the ones like shouldering like the liberal ideologies and being like I'm going to be the one to educate the men about this because I'm doing all the emotional labor here no one else can do that but me um (laughs) but Fiona's not like that like she encourages Boz to kill people she steals stuff she uh not forces she encourages Boz to steal things from the mage's office she's not a big fan of the mage in general oh my gosh we haven't even really talked about the mage yet oh Um, don't worry we'll get there we will for the TLDR right now he's the Dumbledore character in this series essentially um striving for magical equality within the realm of mages Kind of fighting for, like, low-level mages and people who aren't human who are also mages. And Aunt Fiona is super not down for that. (laughs) So she wants Boz to just kind of sabotage him in a way. Uh, But she's also really nice to Boz because he's her nephew. So kind of like Snape a little bit character-wise where she's kind of a shitty person, but she also does some okay (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Completely, though. And also, it's worth noting that um, one of the reasons Aunt Fiona hates the mage so much um, is also that he sort of took over her sister's job. Her sister and Baz's mom uh, was actually the headmistress of Watford before the mage came up, and um, he didn't, like, really usurp her. What happened was uh, she passed away and then the mage kind of took advantage of the chaos and just kind of like took a bunch of power and changed the dynamic of the whole kind of wizarding community and so yes well technically he kind of started the thing that killed his mom so it is kind of the mage's fault (laughs) that's accurate but at the beginning of the book you don't know this it's like a freak attack that kills her, um, but later you find out that the mage actually, like, orchestrated it. <laughs> he did a lot of shitty things. It's We're gonna talk about it. Because it's it's very confu- He's a very confusing character. We'll get there. It's He's so- con- Like, you want to like him because he wants equality for everyone, but he's just- He's very confusing. Anyway, so Fiona hates him because of his politics, but also because uh, he took her sister's job, which has- uh, historically run in their family. The pitches generally are like in charge of everything and the mage took that away and so she's really butthurt about it. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and the mage in his revolutionary ideas threatens the power of Boz's family in general just because they're one of the most powerful and well-known old families. So the mage is like a direct threat to their power. Indeed. Um... Her nephew, Baz, uh, we've already talked a bit Basilton. about him. <laughs> Basilton. Um, 
Tyrannus is uh, a very interesting character. I mean, I love him, but he's so he's super posh. Like he's always clean and there's never dirt under his nails and he always looks perfect and handsome and he like wears his own pajamas. This is a total thing because Watford gives you pajamas, but he brings his own. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like fancy, like silk type of pajamas. Yes, it's a thing. And um, so yeah, appearances are very important to him. And he's like very interested in being clean and comfortable at all times. And he doesn't like to be um, inconvenienced. So I think there's a couple of ways you can interpret this. So I see it as more of like, he is a rich man. And like, I don't know, I when I went to college at a private school, I met a lot of rich men and they very much like to be well dressed and clean and like, they're, they're very similar to Baz. Um, but also this could be read into as kind of a gay stereotype because Baz does identify as gay multiple times throughout the book. And like, that is a stereotype of gay men is that they like to be well-dressed and clean. And I don't know, Kelly, what do you think about this? Um, I think that's a good point. I think Rainbow Rowell gains points in this area in that Boz doesn't really fulfill any other, like, traditional tropes of gay characters. Like, he's not, he's not effeminate. Um, he's not, like, like, he's, he's very, like, traditionally, like, masculine in a lot of his other presentations of himself. Um, besides his, his appearance, uh, he doesn't really talk about his emotions much, like, He's very angry all the time. <laughs> so much angst. So much angst. So much teenage <laughs> angst. I mean, he did get kidnapped. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like, I would be pretty angry, too. But according to Simon, it doesn't sound like he was a very pleasant person to deal with before <laughs> that. Um, True. He likes killing people. Uh, he's very, I guess, like, pro-violence as a character that it's kind of weird to say but he's not like pacifist either like he's a very just like aggressive character so there's like a lot of like mixing of like tropes there and i think that kind of like makes him a unique character instead of just like a predictable stereotype which i really liked and i mean like i said i like boz he's my favorite character um Mm -hmm. but like i said i think that the rich kind of posh thing is more of like a product of him being from a rich family and not so much of a stereotype um i at least didn't read it as a stereotype but i did want to bring it up Mm -hmm. in case people had thoughts on it and stuff but um yeah i i didn't really view it as problematic yeah because uh the the rest of his interactions with other characters too he doesn't really lead with his sexuality as like a main part of his personality. Um, no one actually, yeah, no one knows yeah. that he's gay except the reader. Yeah, and he just, even even towards the reader, too, he just really only mentions it if he's talking about his affection for Simon. But, like, if he's just talking about Simon in general, there's not, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, like, mentioned. Like, it's there, That's you know true, it's yeah. there, but it's not, like, he's not leading with the you know, like, that's not, like, the leading part of his character, either. It's not, like, the defining part of his character. It's just, again, like, 
like, the disability earlier, it's just, like, a facet of his character, because he's, like, a multifaceted character. Which is really super cool for all the reasons I already said, but also I feel like a lot of authors who write gay characters from their point of view, like, they're always talking about liking the same sex, like, it's always mentioned. Like, if they have a crush on someone and they're they're gay, they're always talking about, like, oh, this guy that I have a crush on, have I mentioned that I like him and he's really attractive? Like, have I mentioned that yet? Can we talk about it some more? I really want to talk about it. Like, it doesn't need to be talked about all the time. And I think that Mm -hmm. Raul did a really good job of, like, not making it overarching. Like, he mentions it multiple times, for sure. But he's not always talking about it. And he, like, talks about Simon without mentioning it all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between, like, having that be a leading characteristic of a multifaceted character and having that be like the only facet of your character too. Um, So like if someone's like kind of doing the same thing where it's like, Oh, like this is like something I'm talking about a lot. This is a very big part of my character, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's also these other things because like I'm a person and there are other things in my life too. Um, like, that's cool, but when it relies, like, solely on just, like, tropes and stereotypes, and it's just kind of, like, a very narrow and, like, one-dimensional view of a character that way, that's when it gets problematic. Yeah, and I mean, for anyone who hasn't read the book, um, this is a a big spoiler, but basically, um, Baz is in love with Simon, uh, and he knows this because he's very secure in his identity as a gay person and so he like knows that he's in love with Simon and he knows that it's a problem because they're like technically supposed to be enemies. Simon is confused (laughs) about everything. Um, Questioning. (laughs) Simon is like a very stereotypical male character. He's sloppy, he's messy, he always needs help and direction from Penny or from, like, anyone who will help him. He has no idea how to do, like, anything ever. He's Harry. clueless. <laughs> like, he's completely clueless about love in every fact. Like, he thinks that his relationship with Agatha, where they don't even like each other, is, like, normal and healthy. Like, he thinks it's totally fine. And he, like, doesn't understand that it's not okay. Um, he's also fairly selfish, um a good example is what i just said like he literally does not understand that maybe it's selfish to just want to date someone because they look good next to you and they like are supportive but you don't actually like them and they don't actually like you like maybe that's not cool um (laughs) yeah yeah um he just drags agatha along with him all the time and when she breaks up with him he's like very confused about it it's very strange and it's very stereotypical of like a clueless main main male character Mm um he he does end up with baz that's a huge spoiler but just so you know um that ends up happening and we're gonna talk a lot about the like specific lgbt like relationship later because it's kind of like a bigger discussion but he is very insecure in his sexuality because like, he's a teenager. He's allowed. Like, he just doesn't... He's not really sure about things yet, and that's okay. Um, yeah. Everyone's but, allowed to question their sexuality. Yeah, like... Um, yeah. I'm sure there are, like, 50-year-olds questioning their sexuality. Like, you don't have to be done at 15. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then helping Simon along almost every step of the way 
is our Penelope. Um, so, again, like I've mentioned, she's sort of like the Hermione character. She's very smart. She's very independent. She knows what she wants. Uh, she's very assertive, which I think is cool, too. Like, if she doesn't like something, she's like, all right, this isn't happening. Like, she's just very, like, <laughs> she's very, like, commanding and assertive. And I think that's, like, super cool in a character. Like, she's just very confident in herself. Um, but she's also kind of, like, overshadowed by Simon every so often in the book um, where a lot of the credit doesn't really end up going to her. It's just kind of like, I'm here helping Simon along on his journey. And, like, she might be okay with, like, helping him along, but, you know, it, she's just kind of, like, the main, like, plot driver for Simon to, like, figure out things sometimes. Um, so and she helps, like, she's just a helper. Like, she yeah. just helps people. Like, she helps her dad with his research on these like magical dark spots in the world and her dad is a a researcher about that and he doesn't even have that much power that much magic but she is even kind of overshadowed by him when she helps him because she's just kind of there for the ride and it's also weird that there's so much page space dedicated to her dad but her mom is like a very powerful important um magician but like mm -hmm. It's really just about the dad when they talk about her family. Um, so it is, like, it's a little weird to me that there's, like, these brilliant women that are kind of just overshadowed by yeah. the male characters. Mm -hmm. And she's she's incredibly brave, too. Like, she's always the first one to kind of run towards danger. Um, she organizes everyone. She's always she's always making lists <laughs> as you put it down here in our budget. She's always making lists and, and taking notes and she does a lot of the research. Even though like Boz does pick up a lot of the, the slack on the research too. Um, there's one point where Simon and Boz are kind of like starting to figure out uh, how to go about finding who killed Boz's mom. And Simon's like, we need Penny. <laughs> He's like, I don't know where to start. So he just kind of starts with making lists about what they know and what they don't know. And he's like, just like Penny does every time. So like, even when Penny's not there, she's still kind of helping him because he's like emulating things that Penny does in order to be successful. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it is like, he was shoved into this world of magic and he doesn't know anything about it. And it's like said multiple times that it's kind of arbitrary which things are fake and which ones are real. Like there's no, um, there's no like Santa, but there is a tooth fairy for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And it's like just really weird to someone who didn't grow up in that world. And so he definitely needs someone to help him all the time. And it's understandable, but like Penny just kind of does everything for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one, the one part I do like about Simon and Penny's relationship, though, uh, early on in the book, Simon mentions that Agatha had always been jealous of uh, him and Penny's dynamic, and Simon had a shorter multiple times. Like, it's not like that. We're we're friends. It's more of like a brother sister relationship. And that brother-sister relationship is never challenged romantically throughout the book. It's just kind of understood that they're like good friends. Like, Penny cares about Simon's well-being. Like, Simon cares about Penny's well-being. But it never, like, crosses that line to romantic. It's just, like, a healthy friendship. Healthy 
you could say like, well, they're <laughs> they're always stressed out and in danger and constantly afraid of dying. Uh, but but it, they're, they're in fine. that sense, they have a good dynamic, and I just. I don't know. I really appreciated how, like, Ty was like, no, it's not like that. And then that's how it was. Like, they're just, they're just friends. It never needed to get brought up again. There was never, like, an almost kiss or, like, a, yeah, any, like, a dance where, like, it got weirdly romantic. Like, nothing ever happens and it's Mm -hmm. never questioned. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And at the end of the book, um, Penny and Simon end up living together. Like, they get a flat in London, I think. So they're just, like, they're just roommates. And, like, Boz hangs out with them, too, because he's Boz and he's dating (laughs) Simon. But it's all very friendly. I just, I really appreciated that. It was a nice dynamic. And also, like, after Baz uh, kind of gets done um, (laughs) with his whole plotline of finding out who killed his mom and... The, the world is kind of at peace again and they get a flat together. It's just a nice dynamic between him and Simon and Penny. Um, even before the like sort of epilogue thing where they get a flat, it's like Baz is just nice to Penny. Like, yeah, he's dating Simon and like he I think that he likes Penny even outside of their relationship. Like he's just nice to her. Like he mm-hmm. just generally enjoys her company and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's mentioned that Penny and Boz have a lot of common interests, so they just talk about it generally. And even Simon re- Simon remarks about it at one point. He's like, "Wow, like Penny and Boz are getting along really well." And that's yeah. just like, like he didn't tell Penny that like she had to or anything. It was just like, like they're just also friends. It's just good good friendshiping. I like friendshiping. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> great. Um. So we started talking about Agatha a little bit. Um, if you couldn't tell, she wasn't really involved in the the renting a flat with Penny scenario. Um, she kind of like melts away at the end a little bit. Basically, Agatha's deal, in my opinion, is that she's just she's literally just a female stereotype. Like she's beautiful and pale and amazing and she loves horses and she's not very powerful she's actually kind of meek and scared of things and she just stays in a relationship because it's like easy and she doesn't want to like try hard and she runs away from conflict and she fantasizes about loving the bad boy and she's like I just I don't understand she like breaks up with Simon because she doesn't want to be a trophy wife basically which is well, that's like the first time she has an opinion about something, and I actually appreciate that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but that's it. Like, that's the only opinion she has, other than, guys, we should call the police. <laughs> yeah! She, um, she's really, she really likes the authorities, which is kind of, kind of weird, but, um... Going back to what you said about, uh, why she broke up with Simon, I really also appreciated that, too, because she's like, look... Like, I'm just here just kind of as, like, a background, like, support figure in your life. And, like, I can still be supportive, but I don't need to be your girlfriend to do that because she feels like she's just a prize to be won for Simon, basically. And we'll go we'll go into that a little more about the weird Agatha Boz-Simon love triangle thing that happens in the beginning of the book. But I, I, I liked that. 
Yeah, I, I appreciated that facet of her character, but also it just, like, she could literally have been that girlfriend that Simon, like, pretended to have in Canada, and the book would still be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah! It's like, oh, no, no, she's coming, it's, it's okay. <laughs> like, she shows up at the last big climactic fight scene between, oh like, my God. Rage and everyone, and she runs away. She's like, I don't want to be here. I'm gone. Goodbye. <laughs> she literally, like, goes in, and the bad guy who is the mage in that scenario, like, tries to use her for something, and someone, another character, another woman character, actually, just tells her to run, and instead of, like, trying to help the other woman, she's like, all right, bye, and she just, like, literally sprints the fuck out of there. <laughs> um, yes. There's also a couple of minor characters, like um, Baz's mom, who arguably isn't that minor, but she is dead, so like she's not really there that much. Yeah, um, she, doesn't, she doesn't show up too much. My summary of her is as follows. She came back from the dead just to create the entire plot of this book. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> Basically, I already mentioned that she was the headmistress of Watford before. She's kind of a big deal. She killed a lot of vampires, and she died protecting students, um, which is really admirable. And everyone in the school still, like, really loves her. Even the people who aren't classist and aren't, like, into the, the old families and don't love her politics, like, people still really miss her being the headmistress because she was just really powerful and she got her stuff done and she was really in charge and they miss, they miss having someone like that, I guess, on their side, which is nice because I feel like if there was a woman who was as badass as her, who was in charge of something in modern day America, everyone would be like, that woman's kind of a bitch, like... Yeah, she's I don't really bossy. Her. Yeah, like she's a bossy and she's too strong and she'll never catch a man like that. Like I feel like yeah. that would be the attitude. Yeah. And and the cool part is too, um, Simon for a lot of the novel aligns his views more with the mages, just because like the mage is his mentor throughout the book and like the only kind of like parental figure he has throughout the novel. Um but yet he doesn't ever really say anything disrespectful about Boz's mom. He's just like, oh, like, she was also, like, a great headmistress, you know? Even though she didn't let in lower-powered mages or mages who aren't human, he doesn't, he doesn't say anything disrespectful about it. He's just concerned with helping Boz figure out who killed her. Um, which, I, I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. Because, like, he could have, he could have gone on, on, like, a political diatribe. Like, he's... He's obviously very, like, politically motivated. Like, he has a lot of interest in politics. He could have definitely, like, gone out of rant about that. But he just kind of stays silent about it. Like, never really says anything to Boz either. Yeah, that whole thing. I mean, I actually really uh, enjoy Simon and Baz's relationship. But I feel like that could have gotten brought up. <laughs> Perhaps. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, there's also a minor character named Ebb. She's basically a female Hagrid. Um, she's 100% a goat herd. female Hagrid. <laughs> yeah, she's a goat herd, and, like, it's mentioned that she doesn't really have a reason to be there. Like, the school doesn't need a goat herd. But Natasha Grimpitch, who is Baz's mom, uh, gave her a job, 
because she wanted to be nice to Eb, and because Eb is like super powerful, apparently, like like possibly more powerful than Natasha Grimfitch, but she she decided to be a goat herd because she was upset because her brother quote-unquote died but he actually became a vampire um and she was upset about it and so natasha wanted to make sure that she didn't do anything rash and so she gave her a job on the school grounds and eb is just really nice to to simon and she's basically haggard like like simon goes to her hut and hangs out and like (laughs) hangs out with goats and he like calms down in her like hut on the school grounds but then later he doesn't have as much time to hang out with her because he's too busy like it's literally just Hagrid (laughs) yeah and she like she's a very emotional character she she's like very expressive about her emotions she cries a lot and stuff but she's also like like a badass like mage she's super powerful and stuff but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't stop thinking about the Hagrid parallels while I was reading it. Yeah, it was pretty obvious. And Ev is like not a huge part of the story, um, but she is. Um, her brother ends up being a plot point, the vampire brother, um, and she she ends up having a connection to the mage also. But yeah, she's she's not a huge character. Yeah, she's pretty significant as far as minor characters go, but still minor characters, so. It's accurate. Another significant, but still minor character is the mage, and or Dumbledore. Or- but also Grindelwald. Yeah, also Grindelwald, <laughs> if you're really reading into it, too. Um, and we'll, we'll get there. Uh, he's, he's very, like, white male privilege type of character. It's never really laid out what his- racial identity is but I I would guess he's white probably it's just he's just so white male privilege that I guess yeah just I mean I don't know but we're gonna call him male privilege instead of white male privilege let's just do that yeah um so he went to Watford as well uh back when I guess I guess Natasha must have been... No, Natasha was in school, I think. Oh, yeah. So I guess another pitch was the headmaster. Um, Regardless, uh, he meets a girl named Lucy while he is there. They fall in love. Lucy's kind of bewildered by his ideas. (laughs) He's very... He's very revolutionary uh, in his ideas. <laughs> there's there's one point where uh, Boz is in the mage's office and he's surprised that it still looks the same as when his mother was headmaster. He's like, I I would have expected him to put up a Che Guevara poster, but he didn't. Like, <laughs> so he's like kind of like that white boy revolutionary. Um, he's very concerned with fighting for the rights of lower powered mages because all, all the mages have like different levels of power and like the lower level ones weren't historically let into Watford he's very concerned with crusading for non-human mages as well to also be let into Watford and basically just disrupting this power cycle that just continues with each generation in the old families like all the power just gets wrapped up in the old families and it stays there um 
and it's just kind of like passed down to each generation but going back to his relationship with lucy i mean i don't think she was really bewildered by his ideas she just kind of like immediately believed everything he said because she had a crush on him which was an interesting dynamic like um for example penny's mom actually knew lucy irl and she specifically was like yeah she just kind of believed everything he said it was a little scary like i did not like them together yeah (laughs) um so their relationship was a little one-sided i think i mean like the mage might have cared about her but definitely not that much considering like he pretty much ignored her a lot like there's parts so lucy actually has some narration in the book and so you get to see it from lucy's point of view at times and Mm -hmm. it's very obvious that basically lucy goes from like oh hey there is like a really unhealthy power dynamic in our world like we should really be fighting to fix this and then she just kind of follows everything the mage says um his name is davy by the way yes (laughs) um and it becomes a little unhealthy when he gets really obsessed with this prophecy um which is Uh, He thinks it's it's about Simon, um, and it basically says, And one will come to end us, and one will bring his fall. Let the greatest power of powers reign, may it save us all. So he's looking for this fantastic, most powerful mage, the greatest, greatest power, um, and he's really obsessed with it because he says to Lucy that it's obvious that the time is now, our world is falling apart, there's, you know, there's such inequality in the world and there's fighting among all of these powerful families and so this greatest mage has to come soon like i need to keep an eye out for him and so he becomes obscenely obsessed and then he comes across some sort of um weird spell where he thinks that he can create the greatest mage himself and he actually literally like He ignores Lucy for a really long period of time, possibly years. It's never actually explained. He kills two of her chickens. (laughs) Yes, he kills two of her chickens. Um, She's literally just, like, waiting for him to notice that she's, like, a human being. And then he randomly decides to tell her that he wants to create the greatest mage. And it turns out that he wants to impregnate her with the greatest mage. And so she agrees to this because she thinks that it will help their relationship because it's like physical intimacy and so basically they have sex in like a a specific area of Watford where like the oracles were there's like a whole ritual involved it's kind of spooky he like draws on the ground I think it's really weird um and he casts the spell on her and she can actually feel it happening like when she gets impregnated she feels like this weird spark of power and um spoiler alert that baby is simon so he thinks that he created the greatest mage and like the person that's going to save their world and he gets really obsessed about it we never actually find out what happens to lucy after she gives birth um we we know that she moves to the u.s i think to la but we don't really know what happened um other than that she's definitely dead yeah but she dies eventually um And also during her pregnancy, too, uh, she describes feeling the same way as how, like, later on when these weird, like, magical dead spots start popping up. Like, mages will walk into them 
And it's like walking into a room without oxygen. It's like, oh god, where's all the magic? Like, I can't use my magic. This is weird. I hate this feeling. So she feels the same way, too. But it's never really explained if, like, Simon was created by, like, stealing Lucy's magic, basically. Like, that's kind of my theory, but it's never, Mm -hmm. it's never explained. So. Yeah, there's a lot about this that's not explained, which we'll get more into in a little bit. But really um, frustrating. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so so the mage just ignores her um, to the point like it's it seems a little abusive. Like he kills her chickens and he ignores her and like he doesn't pay attention to any of her needs or like the fact that she exists and it's just really messed up to me. And then he like gets her pregnant but with this child that he then immediately gives up to an orphanage in the normal world because he like thinks that it would be better for him to grow up in an orphanage away from everyone and so he just abandons his child on purpose um i assume that lucy didn't have a say in that and then no clue (laughs) yep we don't really know um so yeah that that was there's a lot of problems with uh, the way that that happened but he he just he gets really crazy about being like power hungry and he wants to change he wants to turn the world on its head but it it goes farther than wanting to end classism and speciesism and stuff like that it it goes too far but he does it under the guise of the greater good which is why uh, Kelly compares him to Grindelwald. <laughs> yeah! Because although their revolutionary ideas aren't really the same, like, Grindelwald wanted the magical world to be, like, the ruling class over the muggle world in Harry Potter. Um, and, like, said that exact same line, too, basically. It was like, this is for the greater good. Um, that's not exactly what the mage is on about, but he still kind of gets, like, power-hungry in the same way. Like, there's a lot of... I feel like there's a lot of the same themes as, like, Harry Potter, where, like, power corrupts, you know? Like, Dumbledore never wanted to be Minister of Magic because, like, power's corruptive, and, like, he didn't want to... He didn't want any part of that. So he just kind of stayed away from that. And it's, like, it's interesting because Dumbledore kind of... He separated his power so that he wouldn't ever have to deal with that. Like, he's the headmaster of Hogwarts, but he's not in charge of the wizarding world because he Mm -hmm. didn't want to get into the Ministry of Magic. But the mage is actually the headmaster, but the headmaster has more power than in Harry Potter. So he's, like, pretty much in charge of the entire wizarding world. Like, he can, he has soldiers, and he sends the soldiers into people's houses and does, like, raids and everything. Like, it's really intense. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, like... Doesn't he, like, kidnap people, too? Well, he was behind Baz's kidnapping. Um, Like, he had other people do it, but he was behind it. I don't think he, like, actually kidnapped people, though. Mm -hmm. He definitely stole things from people's houses and, like, bullied them. Yeah. Mostly from the old family's houses, too. Um, that That was his main target, but... Um... By the end, it seems like he's more just concerned with having ultimate power rather than fighting for those who have not historically been fought for. Yeah, he actually refers to Simon, who, a reminder, is his own son. Um, He refers to Simon as being broken, and he tries to look for a way... Actually, I think he says cracked. 
Yeah. And he, he tries to find a way to fix the crack in Simon. And um, because Simon isn't very good at controlling his magic, he just kind of explodes. And um, so the mage is worried about this because if Simon's supposed to be the greatest mage, he needs to control his power, but he can't. And so the mage thinks that he's like broken and it's kind of messed up. And so the mage ends up trying to take it into his own hands and he tries to steal magic from people so that he can become the greatest mage. And, like, he can have all the power, and it's just, it, it gets weird. Yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of hard, at least for me, I feel like it's kind of hard to understand or analyze, like, his gender role within all of this, just because he's not really well explained as a character. Like, you kind of have... Yeah. You kind of have his motivation of wanting to overturn the rule of the old families but beyond that we don't really get much detail as to his character development between wanting revolution and then wanting to have the greatest power in all the land basically because like at that point like you're not really sure if he wants to gain that power to achieve that goal that he had originally or if that's his new goal like there's just there's just not a lot of detail about his character motivations yeah it's really confusing and i it was one of the things that i didn't really like about this book is just that how confusing the mage's motivations are that you just you have no idea what he really wants at this point in the book you get a window into young him with lucy um and her perspective but you don't really get his character really and it's pretty confusing the Probably the biggest issue I have, though, is that he becomes power-hungry and, and he becomes dangerous and, and starts breaking into people's houses with his own private army and it becomes kind of Gestapo-ish and it's really weird. Mm-hmm. But no one, no one thinks to themselves, oh man, this guy's really creepy and weird, but his opinions on politics are actually pretty good. Like, maybe we should talk more about equality in our world and, like letting people do things that they want to do no matter how much power they have and like education for everyone education is important no one ever says that no one's ever like oh man this guy's a dick but maybe we should have more equality anyway like maybe this isn't a bad idea like what did they do after the mage was defeated at the end of the book like what do they just go back to racism and classism like what 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 happens yeah because at the end of the book, the mage is almost like, the mage is an antagonist. Like, he's fighting against Simon. He wants all of Simon's power. Like, he kills Eb. Like, there's a whole big, like, scene where they're basically just, like, fighting against the mage. They're not, like, trying to say, like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, I thought you said that you wanted this and, you know, this to happen and, like, to free these people and, like, blah, 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 blah. Because, like, as headmaster, he still lets a lot of, like, low-level mages in. Like, he still lets a lot of, like, non-human mages in. He so- abolished tuition. Like, he did a lot of good stuff, but then he just goes off the rails. Yeah, and at the end, Simon and his friends, like, Penny, Agatha, and Boz- I'm not. I'm not super sure about Penny, but, like, Agatha and Boz are from, like, old rich families like agatha's family is like very posh her her mother's very concerned about like how she's going to marry if she's going to marry someone powerful um 
I, I don't really know if, like, Penny's family isn't really the same, um, I don't feel, but... They're in a good position, though. Like, yeah. Like, they, they're still powerful, they're just not, I don't think they're considered an old family. Mm-hmm. And when they finally defeat the mage, they being Simon and Penny, it's not really intentional, he just kind of ends up like dying as a result of one of Penny's spells. Like it's not it's not intentional, it's just like a weird consequence of the spell. But but afterwards, like again, it's like what do they what do they do? Like what happens? Like the mage isn't there. Like all of his men don't really have anyone to rally around. It doesn't seem like Simon's interested in picking up his mantle about this. So, like, do the old families just retain power? Like, are the old families suddenly okay with having, like, all of these people they didn't want at Watford? Like, there's so many questions that aren't answered. Yeah, and, like, I one of the things that I liked about the book was that it was almost entirely character-driven. Like, there was no... There was no point in the book where it wasn't about the characters and their reactions to what was happening. A lot of people actually complained about that. They wanted more plot. But I I enjoyed the character-drivenness of this book. But it does annoy me that, like, no one thought to talk about this. Like, no one thought to think about the politics of after the mage dies. No one's gonna have this dialogue. It's just about Simon and Baz being together at the end. It's not about (laughs) anything else. That's all that matters. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, it's honestly, yeah, like, but, yeah. <laughs> but but also, if there's like all this other like subplot stuff going on, not even really like subplot stuff, but like major plot points that are going on that are like driving like Simon's reactions and like you know formation as a character and like his relationship between like Boz because like Boz and him only form their relationship when Simon finds out that like you know, his mom was murdered and, like, his mom comes back to, like, visit from beyond the veil and she's looking for Simon, but or she's looking for Boz, but Boz isn't there, so Simon ends up receiving her message um, and she was, like, killed in an attack orchestrated by the mage. So it's, like, the mage is kind of, like, a driving influence in this book. Yeah. I, I don't even know if he's, like, an antagonist or a protagonist at this point. Like, it's, it's really confusing. Um... So he's, like, he drives a lot of the main plot points in the book, but it's never really, like, wrapped up by the end. I don't know. Yeah. And, I mean, that was that was probably uh, one of my biggest issues with this book. Um, probably my biggest issue <laughs> is just how little anything gets wrapped up at the end other than, like, Simon and Baz being together. But, yeah, that was the only thing that I really didn't like either. And I mean, like, like personally, I like more atmospheric descriptions of, like, what's going on in the setting and stuff, and there wasn't really, like, too much of that, but, like, I enjoyed just, like, how the characters interacted with each other. Um, so, I, I mean, like, the list of, like, problematic things about the book, the most problematic thing isn't even really about representation. It's just about, like, the plot um (laughs) accurate uh but going a little further down in like the problematic list and in how like the characters relate to each other there's this like weird love triangle that happens at the beginning of the book between simon and agatha and boz so at the very exposition of the book you find out that before they had left 
their last turn. Like, the very last thing that Simon saw Agatha doing, basically, before he was kidnapped uh, and then returned was Agatha was holding hands with Boz and they were out by, like, the spooky Forbidden Forest equivalent. And... <laughs> the and wavering wood. The, the Forbidden Forest. <laughs> and they're holding hands and that's really all that Simon sees. Like, he's too far away to hear anything that they're talking about, but he's really peeved off about it because he's like, hey, wait, that's my girlfriend. Like, is she cheating on, the- Bo- like, on me with Boz, my worst enemy? <laughs> But, like, they didn't even, he, like, wasn't even upset that she would cheat on him or that, like, like, she doesn't, like, possibly doesn't love him. Like, he's not even upset about their relationship. He's just mad that she did it with Bass. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the part that I feel is kind of problematic comes in, but I also feel like it redeems itself. So let me explain. It's problematic in the sense that Simon really does kind of see Agatha in this sense as just a prize to be won because the only reason why he's upset about this is because he has like this weird competition with Baz and like Baz is his like sworn enemy basically (laughs) so and and it's like (laughs) it's really funny like later on the book Baz was like yeah I was just doing that to fuck with you he's like I don't like (laughs) Agatha like I'm gay (laughs) (laughs) Simon's like what the heck but He's not, he's not upset, like you said, that Agatha possibly, like, doesn't love him. He doesn't even really have strong feelings for Agatha. Like, the only time that he says that he loves her, basically, is when they're breaking up and he's like, maybe I can save this by telling her that, like, I love her. And Agatha's like, no, because I'm just a prop in your life. (laughs) So that's kind of problematic in that sense, in the way that he views Agatha and, like, her position in his life like she's just basically there to bring him normalcy and is like a prize to be won but the thing i did like about the way that he handled it was even though he was upset he didn't try to control any of agatha's actions like he expressed his like emotions about it but he wasn't like you're not allowed to talk to baz or like you're not allowed to do or like you should do this you should do that or like you know, he's not trying to really control Baz's actions about it either. He's just kind of, like, expressing his emotions about it. Like, I I don't know. I think that's, I think that's good because on, like, on one hand, he kind of realizes and accepts as a character that, like, Agatha and Baz are going to do, like, whatever they're going to do. And he can be upset about it, but, like, he can't really do anything about it. Um, and even though he's upset, he says at one point, he's like, you know, it's not my job to judge her. And I think this is after they broke up. No, no, no. It was, okay, no. It was when they were dating. He says, like, it's not my job to judge her. It's just my job to be her boyfriend, basically. Which, like, he still ends up being, like, kind of judgy about it, but, like, 10 out of 10 for effort, I guess. Um, like, just in general, like, he's kind of judgy about her and her family like he refers to like her family's like poshness as being like posh crap and like he's like i can't ever pass in that world but like he's also kind of okay with it when it's like boz's family who does it um i feel like he's not that okay with baz's because it's more that he likes Baz as a person, independent from his family, yeah. than, than that he's okay with Baz's family. I think it just never gets brought up that he doesn't 
loves Baz's family. But with yeah. Agatha, like, he spends significant amounts of time with Agatha's family. Like, he goes there every Christmas break, and he's, like, friends with her parents. Mm-hmm. And so he spends a lot of time with them, and he, like, knows how they operate and doesn't feel very at home in that world because he's an orphan from the normal world, and he, like, doesn't have a lot of money. And so I kind of get where he's coming from, from that perspective. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, it's one of those, like, kind of vague things. Yeah, and that's a good point you bring up, too, about him liking Boz as a person and how that's, like, kind of makes it different in how he, like, approaches his family and lifestyle because, like, he really doesn't value Agatha as a person. Like, the only nope. things... Yeah, like, the only things he really praises about her are her beauty. Like, a lot of the things that he describes that he likes about her are just, like, physical attributes And he doesn't really ever praise much about her character. Like, he talks about how Penny and Agatha are kind of different in that Agatha doesn't care as much about political stuff. But that's not really, like, praise. That's just pointing out differences. But, like, he'll talk at length about, like, her hair or her eyes and not really like objectifying her because like he still sees her as a person but there's not really anything that he clearly values about her personality or her character so like that's kind of problematic but i feel like it could have been worse you know i i don't know what do you think about that yeah, I mean, I think that it can be problematic that he just talks about what she looks like and doesn't really care about who she is, even though he does still see her as a person. But it's really, like, he he explicitly says that loving Agatha is really just loving the idea that he has a future in the universe, like, that he's not gonna die. Yeah. Um, like, he literally just loves the idea that eventually they would buy a house and, like, have a life together. He doesn't really care about Agatha as a person. He just wants to, like, imagine a normal life for himself. Yeah, and even when they break up, he's not really even that upset. He's more upset about the fact that she potentially might be breaking up with him to pursue Boz. Like, that's, like, really the only thing he's upset about. (laughs) And, like, maybe not going to her house for Christmas. Yeah, and I mean, she definitely explicitly, like, he brings it up. He's like, oh, so you're gonna leave me for Baz? And she's like, no, Simon, I'm not gonna leave you for Baz. Like, I'm literally just breaking up with you. There's no other thing. Like, you don't have to care about anything else other than the fact that I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, again, like, I think the saving grace of that is that it's, you know, like, it's a genuine emotion. Like, you, you know, you would be upset if, like, your significant other was potentially interested in someone else, like... You know, even if you felt like the relationship, like, maybe going sour, it's like, oh, this is just kind of, like, an indicator that this isn't going to work out. Like, that's that's upsetting regardless. But, like, Simon doesn't really do anything controlling about it. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't really, like, confront Boz about it. Like, if he does, it's, like, not really in a way that, like, wants to control his behavior. 
Simon, like, for being the chosen one and having to, like, fight evil or whatever, he's the least confrontational person in the entire world. Like, he (laughs) comes back to school, and he literally avoids Agatha for as long as humanly (laughs) possible. And then, because the last time he saw her, she was holding hands with Vaz. So he just completely pretends that she's not even there until she actually comes up to him. And then, when he wants to talk to Baz about Baz's mom, he on purpose does not bring Agatha up and like Baz is the one that brings him up and Simon's like no I don't want to talk about this <laughs> yeah which which I think is cool because like in in like a in another novel like a more problematic novel like Agatha could have become like a bargaining chip between yeah, Boz and Simon like it could have become like the main point of their like conflict throughout the novel but it was just kind of like hey that was weird and then he's like, it's not what you think. And, like, Penny's kind of upset about it because she's like, Agatha, how dare you? And Simon's <laughs> like, I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I just I just thought that was, like, that was handled well. Like, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's, like, attention. Like, it's a conflict in the book, but it's not, like, super problematic. Yeah. Um, and it is, I mean... I know we referred to it as a love triangle because that's kind of the easiest way to describe it, but it is, like, Baz was really only paying attention to her to piss Simon off. He's, like, really gay, so he definitely isn't interested in Agatha, and Agatha's really breaking up with Simon because she is unhappy in their relationship, and she doesn't necessarily want to date Baz in particular, but she definitely doesn't want to date Simon, and she doesn't want to be, like, a trophy girlfriend, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, like, she she breaks up with him for herself. Like, there's not really anyone else that she's, like, leaving him for. She's just like, I just don't like being treated like this. Goodbye. <laughs> she, like, doesn't even really want to be a part of the world either. Like, she actively mm-hmm. wants to stop going to school at Watford and just go to a normal high school and, like, have normal friends. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe that at the end of this book, Agatha goes on to marry a normal person. Yeah. I mean, she does move to L.A., Yeah, she she moves to California. She doesn't use magic anymore, really. She has, like, non-magical friends. Um, So, like, she just wasn't really ever, like, interested in the, you know, the magical universe in general. Which is fine. I mean, like... Yeah. That seems kind of cool to me, honestly. Like, you don't want to deal with anyone's bullshit, so you just left. Yeah. Mood. Bye. (laughs) You guys can all fight with each other and kill each other. I'll be over here in L.A. Like... Sipping mojitos and having a great time. <laughs> yep. Um, so I know we, we talked about a few problematic things and a few less problematic things, but I think um, my problematic with a capital P list goes like the mage's entire character. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the, the, the following, which is that Simon genuinely is attracted to women like he does talk about how pretty uh agatha is and how he's attracted to her and they presumably like fool around i think that it's mentioned that simon might not be a virgin at some point Mm -hmm. and um and he does also find other women attractive like he he says that trixie the pixie is also like cute and he definitely finds women attractive but he ends up with Baz at the end of the book, and he ends up kissing Baz, like, he's the one who initiated. Um, and he he has to kind of figure some stuff out. Basically, his explanation for Baz, because Baz is worried that, like, he's 
just kissing him in like a spur of the moment thing like maybe simon isn't gay maybe simon doesn't actually find baz attractive and so baz is worried and he asks simon you know are you gay like what is happening (laughs) and simon basically says i don't know like i was too busy being the chosen one everyone's relying on me and i didn't have time to think about my sexuality like fair enough i mean (laughs) like there are too many other things on my plate right now (laughs) yeah like i like me too like (laughs) Fair enough. Um, But also, even by the end of the book, because Simon kisses Baz, like, like middle end, I think. Like, it's not the end, but it is Mm close-ish. And there's definitely time in the book for Simon to think about this. And there's time after he defeats the mage, too. Like, there's definitely a couple of chapters after that that he could have thought about it a little. But he doesn't. And, you know, that's fine. Like, like we said before, you don't need to have all of your stuff figured out. But he didn't even have a dialogue about it. Like, he didn't think to himself, oh, am I bi? Like, are there other sexualities other than gay or straight? Like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm gay. But wait, I like women. Like, what's happening in my life? And he doesn't, he doesn't really think about it, ever. And that, that was one of the problematic things that really got to me, because... Like, can no one say the word bisexual? Like, is this not a real thing in the world? Like, like there's such an issue with bi and pan, like, erasure. And I mean, like, other things, obviously, like, asexuality and everything. But I'm talking mm-hmm. about bisexuality at this point. There's such an erasure issue in the LGBT world now. And I just, like, this is very obviously, like, a bi or pan character. And, like... <laughs> Like, it's just never discussed. It's never even discussed as, like, an option. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my point, too. Like, I feel like it could have just been, like, an option. Like, you know, ah, oh, like, I'm not sure. Am I gay? Am I bisexual? Like, I don't care if, like, Simon figured out his sexuality by the end of the book. Like, maybe he never figures it out. That's fine, too. Sexuality is fluid. Like, it's subject to change. It's something that, like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I just... Questioning, questioning is an okay place to be, too. But just the fact that it was never mentioned as even, like, an option or a possibility or just a word in the book as, like, is he bisexual? Like, that's just kind of, like, I don't know. It just, as like, reading the book, I was just waiting for it to happen. Like, I was just sitting there, like, okay, Simon's bi. And then, like, it never happened. No one ever mentions it. No, like, literally none of the characters are like, maybe Simon's bi. No one. No one talks about it. And actually, like, when I was looking into this, um, I found an interview online where someone asked Rainbow Rowell about the ambiguity of Simon's sexual orientation. And Rainbow uh, replies in, like, a longish paragraph, so I'm not going to read all of it. But she, she said a little bit of the following... I think that if you ask Simon if he was gay or straight, I think he would probably have a hard time answering that and would shy away from answering it. And I think that's okay. I don't think we all have to have it figured out by the time we're 15 or even 50. We can't figure ourselves out in the moment and change and be elastic. Simon wouldn't say he was gay. He wouldn't say he was straight. He might say he's bisexual if he actually put that much thought into it. I think Baz might be the first person Simon has ever been attracted to. So that was from Rainbow. And I do, I agree with the things that she's saying. And it makes perfect sense to me that like, wow, yeah, maybe Baz is the first person Simon's ever been attracted to. And like, this is very confusing for him. And he doesn't need to have it all figured out. And 
that's fine, but my issue is that, like, just just mention it in the text. Like, none of this was ever discussed in the actual text, and there's multiple ways to do it. Simon didn't even have to be the person who talked about it. Like, you could have had Baz think to himself, hey, I wonder if Simon's thought about this. Like, maybe he wants to talk about, like, whether he's bisexual or gay or, like, what he's got going on. Like, in his mind, I really want to have this conversation with him. Or, like, Penny could be asking Simon some questions about his sexuality and Simon would have to like shy away from them like that's okay Simon doesn't have to answer but like it could have been addressed in some sort of way and there are multiple ways that it could have been done and it did not need to like be another hundred pages like it could have been a brief thing that that was just mentioned in the text (laughs) as brief as the wheelchair (laughs) yeah um But the way the text is written right now, if you don't Google this Rainbow Rowell interview, it just screams bisexual erasure to me as like Mm -hmm. a first time reader of this book. And it was, it was, like I said, it was like right under the mage's character being problematic. Yeah. Yeah, It was this, but this was actually related to representation. Yeah. And there was a really good opportunity there to mention that just because I feel like with the bisexual erasure I feel like that's even stronger for like men and like 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 male characters just because like like bisexuality with women is like weirdly fetishized like it's it's like a weirdly fetishized thing it's kind of like it's like accepted in like mainstream culture but like in a fetishized way but at least it's still like visible i don't know it sounds bad saying like at least it's still visible because it's like that's not a good thing that it's visible that way but with men who identify as bisexual i feel like society just ends up saying like oh you're not bisexual you're gay like if you're attracted to men you're gay like and just kind of like completely like invalidates like any attraction they've had to women and whatnot and it's just like all right well you're either gay or straight and that kind of like it almost felt like the same kind of vibe in this book where Simon's like, all right, well, I have to either figure out whether I'm gay or straight. And I get that, like, that is a common thought process that, like, people might go through, like, questioning their sexuality and stuff. But I just, like, again, like, she could have, she could have mentioned it. Bisexual people aren't invisible. I know because I can see myself right now. <laughs> And I can be too. <laughs> I can see you, Jackie. Amazing. We're here. We show up in We're mirrors. We're here. We exist. <laughs> Bisexual <laughs> vampires just don't show up in mirrors or anywhere. Yes. But anyway, I think I think that we've covered a lot in this episode, and there's good things and there's bad things about this book, but honestly overall, I really enjoyed it. I think that if you're interested in reading it, that you should definitely give it a shot Um, because it's just it doesn't take itself too seriously it's just like a fun fantasy book that's actually a spin-off from a subplot of one of her previous books, which is kind of weird if you think about it too much but (laughs) it's very meta (laughs) it is um, I haven't read any other Rainbow Rowell books. I actually don't um, read contemporary very much, and she usually writes contemporary, so I don't usually see her books in like my circle, but um, this one I read because it's fantasy and it has good reviews, and I genuinely enjoyed it, even though I had a couple of issues with it. Mm-hmm. 
the only frustrating thing for me was the plot, basically, and <laughs> just surrounding the mage. <laughs> You're pointing at all of me. It's just the plot. <laughs> just because I like... Just all of it. I, I it, it might just be, like, my personal preference, but I like reading a story. Like, I like, like, storytelling. Like, there was a story here, but it wasn't, like, coherent in a lot of places. But that being said, I did like how the characters interacted with each other. Like, I liked how Simon and Penny's friendship was just, like, a genuine, caring friendship. There wasn't any romantic undertones. There wasn't even any hints at any point. It was just, they were friends. Like, I liked how Boz is, like, you know, macho kind of, like, masculine, you know, exterior kind of melts away whenever Simon's around. Like, they're so cute together. Their dynamic is, like, really sweet. And it's, like, it's cute to read. Um, so I I enjoyed that. I just, I enjoyed seeing, like, their relationship develop throughout the book. Um, like, it was it was enjoyable for me to read overall. Except it left me really frustrated because there were so many questions that were just <laughs> not answered. But that's beside the point. Like, like that being <laughs> said, it wasn't problematic in its representation overall. There's, like, some problems between the bisexuality thing, some gender role stuff. But it wasn't glaring to me as I was reading it. It wasn't, like, distracting to me as I was reading it. Um, there's, there's other books that I have read that I just can't stop noticing all the problematic things, like, as I'm reading it, but I was able to just read this and, like, turn my brain off and enjoy it. Like, it was nice. Indeed. Um, so, to lighten the mood, since, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about plots and, uh, by erasure, I think that we're gonna do some random questions today. Cool. I think that that's gonna, that's gonna be a thing that we do. So, um... I will ask you questions first, Jackie, and you will have a minute to answer them. So answer quickly. <laughs> okay. I will, I will try to keep my I will keep my snarky comments to a minimum until we get through this, so you have enough time to answer them. Okay. Perfect. Are you ready, Jacqueline? No. Um, okay. well, yes, I am. I'm going to start anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. What is your favorite song? Oh, no. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I don't have a favorite song. Next question. How old were you when you had your worst haircut ever? Oh, I was 22. I know because it was this year. <laughs> <laughs> what advice did you get that was the most rewarding? Uh, go to sleep. <laughs> What is your least favorite type of music? Probably country music. If you were a superhero, what would your power be? Shutting Kelly up. <laughs> what fortune would you want to get from a fortune cookie? Um, you, you will have many vacations. Yes, good. What is one food you wouldn't want to give up? Oh, uh, chocolate, probably. Nice. Yes. Time. Okay, so you answered... Well, you didn't answer one of them, because you couldn't answer what your favorite song was. I, ca I can't even answer that question. 
right now because I'd be know. like, I have favorite artists. Yeah, I'm like, do you mean like right now, last week, next <laughs> week, a year ago, like <laughs> five minutes from now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you answered six questions, okay. right? Okay, <clears throat> hold on. I kind of skipped around. So wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Six. I asked you seven. You answered six. Okay. Six questions. Um, all right. Kelly. Yes. I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to answer as many as you can in one minute. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. If your plane was about to crash, who would you want sitting next to you? (laughs) Uh, Matt. (laughs) Oh, uh, which of the presidents was your favorite? Obama. (laughs) Same. How long of a consecutive time have you spent in a car? Uh, eight hours. What is your favorite Halloween costume? That I've worn? Um, I was Rey last year from Star Wars. That was dope. (laughs) That was a good costume. How can you tell if someone is a nerd? They're named Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) If you could teach any grade or subject, what would it be? Um, I would teach music probably to middle schoolers because they get my sarcasm. What fashion trend do you just not get? Uh, athletic wear casually. <laughs> okay, uh, we're, we're time. You answered seven questions. So you yeah. win. Yeah! <laughs> Also, I would like to add to the fashion trend question that I hated Uggs for the longest time. Not because they were, like, associated with, like, preppy girls or, like, girly girls or anything. No, gender roles be damned. They're just ugly. They're so ugly. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. I hated Uggs for a really long time because I'm from San Diego and... All of the girls in high school would wear like Uggs and and like T-shirts. Like it just wasn't. It made no sense to me. Like it doesn't even get cold there. I don't understand why you guys are wearing Uggs. Please stop. And they're like so ugly. And so I hated them. And then when I moved to Pennsylvania, of course my extended family made like kind of a big deal about it because I was like the only person in my extended family to move for college. And so my grandma bought me like brand name Uggs that had like buttons on the side like they weren't the normal Uggs <laughs> and they were they were just and so I literally kept them in a closet for like three years and then one year I wore them because I didn't have my snow boots available to me mm-hmm. and it was just they're actually just so comfortable and so now I wear them at home like I do not leave the house with them because I think <laughs> that they're ugly but I will wear them in my apartment <laughs> Yeah, like, they have, I don't get, I'm looking at their website right now. They have shoes that, like, aren't ugly. Like, I would buy a lot of shoes that are on this website. But just, like, the classic, like, Ugg style, just, like, ah. It makes me, it makes me scream internally. Uggos. Uh, Uggos. Um, anyway, so I hope you guys uh, learned something about Kelly and I, that we hate Uggs, and that, um, we, I don't know, what, what even, Kelly doesn't like athletic wear? I don't think you learned anything fun about me. I think mine was pretty boring. (laughs) 
Like, athletic wear is fun if I'm, like, I don't know, I'm late to class and I couldn't find anything else and I just want to be comfy and I'm having a bad day, but, like, it's become, like, a fashion trend. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, same. I'll, I don't really wear athletic wear out much, but it is comfy. Like, I understand why people would find it comfortable to wear, but it's just not cute and the super cute athletic wear is like not for working out like like that is not helpful if you're actually working out yeah <laughs> so if you have any thoughts about athletic wear or uggs or books that you'd want us to review next or take a look at send us a message you can email us fictionforward at fictionistmag.com or you can tweet at us at, at fiction underscore forward. So send us pictures of dogs, tell us what you liked about the show, ask us questions. We'd love to hear from you. Indeed. And also, I know we already recorded this episode, but if you have thoughts on Carry On, we would love to hear them. Um, you know, we might even talk about them a little bit in our next episode. Um, feel free to, to talk to us about anything you want. Yeah, We're friendly. <laughs> well, Jackie's friendly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I am. Maybe we shouldn't include the friendly comment. <laughs> We're both bisexual vampires. We're not friendly. <laughs> We're invisible. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, if we missed anything, if you want to add anything, if you disagree with anything, feel free to talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Indeed. We would definitely love to hear from you. And, you know... Feel free to disagree with us. You know, feel free to, to yell at us on the internet. That's fine, too. It seems to, to be popular. <laughs> All right. And with that, we have come to the end of our fourth episode. Tune in next time for episode five. We will be announcing what book we'll be reviewing next. So stay tuned. Finger guns. Pacha. This is the end of the episode. told from Simon's point of view and he's like I know what you are I snarled <laughs> his like pauses eyes locked onto mine your roommate I shook my head and squeezed the hilt of my sword Boz stepped into my reach tell me he spat I couldn't tell me snow he stepped even closer what am I I growled again and raised the blade an inch vampire I shouted <laughs> And I just, I lost it there because I was like, I could not stop thinking about the, say it out loud, <laughs> vampire. Like, your skin is ice cold and pale. And I just, ugh. 
I that that maybe like off topic for two seconds, but that was the only thing that really bugged me throughout the book was how much it kind of read like a weird Harry Potter Twilight fan fiction in some <laughs> areas. But I'm not gonna lie and say that I didn't enjoy that. But <laughs> it was a little distracting sometimes. <laughs> Um, wait, hold on. I have an aside, and I'm gonna edit this out, but I just, like, I started laughing when I was looking at this, because they're talking about how it's funny that, like, Trixie's name rhymes with Pixie. Oh my god, yeah. Boz is like, it's like a fairy named Mary, or a vampire named Gampire. (laughs) Like, no, that's not how that works. Gampire isn't even a proper name, Snow. (laughs) Like, I just, like, I couldn't stop laughing at Gampire. It's just, I, like, I can't even... Gampire. Sure. Where's the summary? <laughs> it's at the top. Oh, it's at the top. Okay. Okay. All right, I got it. <laughs> 